Amen. Good evening, everyone. Uh, bear with me tonight. I'm going to be speaking, hopefully, in a very low, calm voice. Try to preserve uh, my vocal cords as we go through this very eye-opening uh, and exciting message tonight. So let us have a word of prayer, and we will jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the things we have been learning. And Father, we ask that you would just enlighten us, Lord. Help us to see the relevance of this subject tonight. And Father, I also ask that you please be, please be with me as I speak tonight. Let this message be clear. And may it be attended by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, tonight's subject is entitled, The Mark of the Beast. And uh, this is a very serious subject. Uh, again, this is the theme of many discussions uh, that are happening today around the, in the Christian community. What exactly is the mark of the beast and again there have been many many ideas and many thoughts about what the mark of the beast is tonight we're going to look into the word of god and have the word of god reveal to us uh, without a shadow of a doubt what the mark is uh, our first verse we're going to look at daniel chapter 12 verse 1 and in daniel chapter 12 verse 1 it speaks about a time of trouble. And it is in this time of trouble that the mark of the beast has its setting. We'll read Daniel 12, 1. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And who do we discover Michael was? Jesus. Very good. Um, he will stand up for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of what? Trouble such as never was <coughs> since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time they shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So the Bible tells us that there will be a time of trouble such as has not been since the earth was created. And we wonder, what is this time of trouble for? Well, there's a very significant reason for this time of trouble. In the book of Matthew, 24 verses 23 and 24, Jesus says something very profound here. He says, therefore, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is who? Christ. Or there, believe it what? Not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were what? Possible, they shall deceive the very what? Elect. Now, I'm asking you a question. If I came to you, if you were walking down the street one day and you saw an angel appear in front of you with a red suit on and a pitchfork, and he said, follow me, how many of you would follow him? Wouldn't be very deceiving, would it? However, if an angel appeared to you beautiful, a magnificent light shining all around him, speaking beautiful, soft words that remind you of 
the Jesus that you have seen and heard of so often and then said, follow me. Might you be a little bit more tempted to follow? Jesus is warning us here that the end time deception that is that if it were possible would deceive the very elect is not some uh, upfront devil with a pitchfork that's going to say, if you don't bow down, I'm going to kill you. It's going to be a deception, and we called it yesterday, a deception of holiness. In other words, Satan will come under the disguise of holiness, and this is what the time of trouble is all about. Most people think the time of trouble is about wicked people on the right hand or left hand versus righteous people on the right hand. Openly wicked, the murderers, those who just hate Jesus, we hate Jesus. Far from it. Jesus says, you're to be looking out for those who are going to come saying, hey, I'm who? I'm Christ. Showing signs and wonders that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. Bible was on to tell us about the time of trouble. Well, let's look at some of the things here in, that took place in heaven that will, will, will remind us of the time of trouble. The time of trouble that comes at the end of time is a replay of heaven's great controversy. It is a war between two causes of holiness. Remember that the war in heaven that took place, that great time of trouble that took place in heaven was between two different concepts of what holiness is. Satan said, I will be like the Most High. But I can be like the Most High without being in submission to the Most High, without following the law of the Most High. Why do angels need a law? This crisis or this time of trouble that took place in heaven was so great that we know that one third of the holy angels were what? Were deceived by it. So remember, Jesus says this time of trouble coming up will be so incredible that even the elect, if they're not careful, could be what? Deceived. Just as in heaven, the very same arguments that Satan brought forth in heaven will be the very same arguments he will bring forth in the time of trouble. Basically, we're looking then, beloved, at two concepts, holiness without strict adherence to God's law, Versus holiness by strict submission to God and his law. In the last time, the time of trouble, the war will be over your concept of holiness. Now, beloved, that's a pretty tricky war. Because it, could, it would be much easier if we could just say, oh, that's the devil. Look at his red pitchfork. Come on, everyone, stay away from him. But the devil coming like that would deceive no Christian. And remember, what is the goal? God is raising up jurors that will be part of the final judgment that takes place in the city of heaven. The devil's goal is to disqualify the jurors. And so the time of trouble is going to be a time in which the jurors in particular are going to be tested like they have never been tested before. Remember again that one-third of the angels were deceived by this deception. And if one-third of the holy angels were deceived, beloved, then we need to be very, very careful and stay very, very 
close. As the song says, I want Jesus to do what? Walk with me, which means we also have to be willing to walk with Jesus. Now, here's a question. In a similar atmosphere, with the entire globe polarized into two sides, can the jurors be trusted to make the right decisions? How many of you get that? Okay, don't see any hands going up. Okay, now see. In other words, if the jurors themselves who are to judge what took place in heaven way, way, way back um, before the earth was created, if the jurors themselves are to judge, the question is, if they were in a similar situation, a similar time of what? Trouble. Could they be trusted to make the right decisions or would they be deceived just like the who? Fallen angels. And in particular by a counterfeit holiness. This is what the time of trouble is really all about. It is testing the jurors. It is taking the jurors, those who are to supposedly judge Satan and his angels and say, well, hold on, wait a minute. If they were placed God in a situation just like we went through in heaven, would they be able to discern between right and wrong? And if not, how are they supposed to what? Judge me. That's Satan speaking. I want you to notice Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. The Bible says here, and these all, talking about those in the past, having obtained a good report through faith, received what? Not the promise. We're talking about the ultimate promise of entering into heaven. It says, God having provided some, some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made what? Perfect. All this verse is saying, beloved, is that the reward at the end of time does not come until God's last day people are ready. In other words, the saints will not receive the promise, the promise of eternal, eternal inheritance until all of God's people. The number that is to make up that innumerable number are finished. And that last group of people are the people that go through what is called the time of trouble. And they're the people that are going to show decidedly that all who God saves would be willing and able and capable of living in that time way back in heaven and it would have made the, the same decisions that holy angels would have made. In other words, those people in the last days, they are kind of like, you ever seen a relay race? And you've got the first leg and he's going and he does his part and he hands off the baton and then you've got the next person coming up. Well, the race is not over until the last day people take that baton and they've got the most important part of the race because they're the ones that what? Finish it. Not only do they finish it, but they're the ones that go up against the fastest runner on the opposing team. Guess who the fastest runner on the opposing team is? Satan. And they will be placed in a situation where God says, Satan, I'm going to allow you to test them. 
You can provide the very same atmosphere which took place in heaven, and I guarantee you that my people will not be deceived and they will not be bought or sold. Isn't that good news? God puts total confidence in his people in the last days. So much that he says, I'm not letting anybody into heaven until the last leg wins. So, beloved, we, I believe we are that last day people. We are living in this final generation. And there is a heavy burden that is placed upon you and I. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time in the book of Revelation chapter 13. We're going to go down verse by verse. If you have your Bibles, you could follow along because we're just going to be sticking there in Revelation 13. We'll jump around a few more places, but we're going to go straight down to Revelation 13 through Revelation 13. And this is going to be relatively easy because all of this now, we are simply recapping. Everything we have done so far, you'll be able to say, oh yeah, I remember that. Yep, remember that too. So let's begin. John says, and I stood up on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now John here is simply saying that he sees a beast coming about the sea. In Bible prophecy a beast represents a nation. You'll find that in Daniel chapter 7. John is not seeing here some literal animal coming up out of the water. He's seeing a kingdom or a nation, just like Daniel 7. You had a lion that represented Babylon, a bear that represented Medo-Persia, a leopard that represented Greece, and a dragon that represented Rome. So now, John the Revelator is seeing another beast, another kingdom rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And you can already, just from that one verse, you can put together that the woman of Revelation 17, which we read about last night, who had blasphemy written on her head, on her forehead, is the same, uh, it's the same symbol or the same um, power being spoken of here, simply under a different symbol. It says, "In the beast which I saw." was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as a feet of a bear, and his mouth as a mouth of a lion, and the who? Dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Who gives this beast his power? Satan. Very good. So the beast's power and the beast's seat and the beast's authority is really whose power and whose seat and whose authority? Satan's very good. Bible goes on to say, all right, we're coming to it, but again, just to, re to recap that, it is the beast is given Satan's power. He's given his seat or his throne. It's given his authority. All under the power, throne, or authority of this beast are really under the power, throne, and authority of who? Of Satan, of the dragon. Okay, and by the way, we've identified this beast yesterday. If you don't, if you weren't here yesterday, you can get the tape. We've identified this beast as the papacy, the, the Roman Catholic system, not the people, but the system. The Bible goes on to say in Revelation 13, speaking about this beast. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, excuse me, and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. 
We again spoke yesterday about the fact that this beast was given a time period to rule, which was how long? 1260 years. And at the end of the 1260 years, in 1798 AD, this beast or the papacy received a deadly wound. But the Bible tells us the deadly wound was what? Healed. In other words, this, this power that persecuted the saints of the Most High during the Dark Ages, that burned people at the stakes, that persecuted you if you had a Bible, that changed God's times and laws, in particular, which one? The Sabbath. This power received a deadly wound in 1798 when France abolished the papal state. And then it says the deadly wound was healed. We know that today the papacy has risen in power again, even though they now have a different face from that which they had during the Dark Ages, and we'll see why that is in a moment. And it goes on to say, and all the world wondered after the beast. And again, all we need to do is look at the Pope's funeral, and you see how much the world is wondering after the beast. And I did not just call the Pope the beast. I'm just saying the system. Amen? Okay. To worship means to obey. Notice verse 4. It says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This is interesting here because the Bible tells us, first of all, the beast. Is the beast something that is overtly evil? No, it appears to be what? Holy. Watch, the time of trouble is the devil's way of creating an atmosphere just like what it was like in heaven. So the beast appears to be holy, but the Bible says that in worshiping the beast, who were they really worshiping? The dragon. You see that? In worshiping the beast, they worship the dragon, and they say what? Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Well, there's some place else in the Bible where these words are used almost word for word. Exodus 15, 11. It says, who is like unto thee, O who? Lord among the gods. Who is like thee, what? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Exodus 15, 11. Beloved, when the world says to the beast power, who is like unto this beast? Who is able to make war with him? It's a statement of this power's quote-unquote holiness. Who is like, who would want to make war with this? I mean, this is, isn't this this what all Christians want? This is the atmosphere that the time of trouble is going to be like. Who is like unto him? Who is able to make war with him? Revelation 13, 5, it continues to say, there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. This is recapping. The 42 months is the same as 1260 days or 1260 years. The Bible says power was given unto him. Who gives him the power? The dragon. Satan gives him power. We want to find out what that power was. Notice Daniel 8, 23. Should be 23 to 24. Daniel 8, 23, 24. 
It says, and in the latter time of their kingdom, speaking of this little horn, which is the same power as this beast in Revelation, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his what? Power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Who gave him his power? The dragon. Very good. And he shall destroy wonderfully. That's going to be part of his power. And he shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Verse 25 reads, and through his policy also he shall cause craft. That word means cunningness. He shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by war shall destroy many. By peace. How do you destroy many by peace? We know that the Bible talks about the gospel of peace. Well, beloved, this is telling us again that this power will be so deceptive that while proclaiming peace, it is destroying and misleading souls. Let's look at his power defined or refined. Look, Daniel 7, 25 tells us, and he shall speak, this is his power, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to do what? Change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until that is 42 months or 1260 years. So the power of the beast then, the first beast, would be to blaspheme God, to persecute the saints of God, to change times and laws, and to unite the whole world. This is the power of the beast that he exercised during the 1260 years. Revelation 13, 6, it says, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his what? Tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. We learned yesterday that the papacy turned men's eyes from the heavenly sanctuary by saying, come to our what? Sanctuary. That confessional booth built almost like a miniature sanctuary, two compartments with a dividing wall or curtain or what have you. And instead of sending people to the heavenly sanctuary to confess their sins, the priest encouraged people to come confess their sins to them. And they sat in the place of God, as it were. Revelation 13, 7, it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Again, we need to understand that to worship means to obey. Revelation 13, 8 tells us, And all that dwell upon the earth shall do what? Worship him. Now, worship who? Is it saying all that dwell upon the earth will worship the papacy? No, worship who? Worship the dragon who is behind these systems. In other words, beloved, what Satan does, you're going to find in this study, is that he's got to use different avenues to, to forward his cause. Because if he appears as himself, it would be di more difficult to deceive. He's got to use our, a, a holy cause in order to deceive. Otherwise, it cannot be called deception. 
All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. We saw again Revelation 13, 9 and 10. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. What does this mean? The papacy led people into captivity for 1260 years. Now they themselves were what? Led into captivity in 1798 when they were taken captive by France. It says, he that killeth with the sword, excuse me, must be killed with the sword. For 1260 years, the papacy with the word of God ran these so-called religious wars. They killed people in the name of who? In the name of Christ. Now, with that very same sword, they now receive a deadly wound. What do I mean by that? When people like Martin Luther began to translate and, and study the Bible and have the Bible uh, uh, read to the common person. And as these people began to read the word of God and study for themselves, they were in fact initiating a deadly wound to the papacy because now it was being revealed. Oh, now we see who you are. We didn't have our Bibles before. We couldn't tell. But now we see who you are. And in fact, according to the prophecy that the beast would only rule for 1260 years, it came to pass and they received a deadly wound by prophecy itself, by the word of God. So he that lived, led to captivity was led into captivity. He that killed with the sword was himself or himself received a deadly wound by the sword or by the word of God. Revelation 13, 11 now switches the scene. And now John says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a what? As a dragon. Now, John here sees another beast coming up out of the earth. He sees this beast coming up out of the earth at the very same time that he saw the first beast receiving its deadly wound. When did the first beast receive its deadly wound? Very good, 1798. Here's a question. We're going to look at a couple hints here. John now sees another beast which would represent another what? Nation or kingdom coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb. Who does a lamb represent in scripture anyway? Christ. So what kind of a nation would this be then? A Christian nation that would be rising up sometime around the 1790s or coming into power around the 1790s resembling a lamb but the Bible tells us that it would eventually speak as a what? As a, as, as a dragon. Well, what is that nation? I think everybody in here knows what. there can only be one nation that fits that role. The United States of America. Protestant America which happened to be based by the way upon what? Religious freedom. Religious freedom in fact. Those people who left Europe, they left because of the what? Persecutions of the papacy. So now we've got Protestant America. Constitution, our constitution was ratified in 1789. Our first president, George Washington, 
1789. So this nation was coming into power. It, it, it had existed before, but it was just organizing itself as a dominant power in the world around this time. And in particular, this prophecy is not so much talking about the land of America as it is the Protestants of America. Protestant America. Now, notice this incredible, you're going to think, no way, this, can, this can't be impossible. Because Revelation 13, 12 says, and he exercises all the power of who? The first beast before him. Who was the first beast before him? The papacy. Now you're saying, wait a minute. I know you just said that America was formed based off of what? Religious freedom. And uh, you just said that the people who left Europe left because they were being persecuted by they recognized who? The dragon. So you telling me that America, the Protestants of America, who are misguided, are going to end up doing what the papacy did. Man, that's as far-fetched as a, as a lamb speaking like a dragon. And that's the exact reason why God uses those symbols. Because when you go up to a lamb and you pet a lamb, you expect the lamb to go bad, right? You do not expect a lamb to roar like a dragon. And so the deception, beloved, is going to be so great in the final days that God takes this symbol and he says, there's another power that's coming. It looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a what? Like a dragon. Just like Lucifer in heaven, who looked like an angel of light, but spoke like a serpent. And how many of the angels were deceived by this disguise? One third. You see here how Satan is, is slowly but surely creating an atmosphere just like that which took place in heaven. Which is why the Bible says that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. But beloved, there really is no need for us to be deceived. There really is no need because God has given us all this in his word ahead of time so that we don't have to be deceived. It says he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and caused who? The earth, which means that this power then must be a, a worldwide power. Caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, what does the word worship mean? It means to what? It means to obey. Sometimes people read this first and they say, well, I will never worship the Roman Catholic Church. But beloved, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that this beast, this second beast, Protestant America, and I don't mean all Protestant America, I simply mean those who do not know their Bibles, those who are not studying the word of God, those who are open to the deceptions of the enemy. What is going to happen is they are going to cause the world to obey the principles that originated in what church? In the papacy. That's what it means. 
So whatever it is, whatever the principle is that, that the papacy was built upon, and we saw last night that that principle was built upon rebellion, we have the power to change God's law. That's why our church is so powerful, because we have the authority to change God's law. We sit in the place of God. And those laws that have been changed by the papacy, Protestant America is going to turn around and say, hey, you know what? We ought to do this. We ought to do exactly what was done before in the, in, in, in the dark ages. They're not going to say it in those words. And I don't even think they're going to realize it, beloved, because it will be a deception of holiness. The worship of the first beast is really the worship of who? The dragon of Satan. Protestant America to exercise the power of the first beast. What was the power of the first beast? To blaspheme God. The Bible is telling us that Protestant America, in their ignorance and in their deception, not understanding what is going on until a certain point where it will be revealed, that they're going to do the very same thing that the first beast did. Blaspheme God. What else? Persecute this. Pastor Mars, do you realize you're talking about America, the land of the free? My country, tis of thee. You know the song? Beloved, the Bible tells us that there's coming a time of trouble upon this world that would, if possible, deceive the very what? Elect. So yes, we're looking at a time where persecution of the saints is going to take place. And who's that persecution going to be by? Other so-called what? Christians. Incredible. No, no, no. I thought the war was, you know, between Satan followers, you know, demon worshipers and, and Christians. No. Far from it. This Protestant America will also go along with the principle of changed times and laws. And will also go and, go and seek to unify the, the world. All right, the Bible goes on to tell us in Revelation 13, 13. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now the beast is symbolic. We're not talking about a literal lamb speaking like a literal dragon. The beast is symbolic. This lamb is symbolic. The fire is also symbolic to a certain extent. That fire, beloved, is symbolic of miracles, which we will see in the very next verse. I want to show you the, the, the symbolism or the meaning of fire coming down from heaven in the sight of men. Now, when I said that it was symbolic, what I simply mean is that this beast or this power, Protestant America, will through miracles deceive the world, the Bible says. 2 Kings 1 verse 10 and Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I be a what? Man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee in thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, what was this proving in this verse? Fire from heaven proved that the one who called it down was a man of God. So likewise, these miracles that that I'm going to call it apostate Protestantism, okay? Which means Protestantism that is not true Protestantism. 
Protestantism is saying, hey, we believe in the Bible and we go fully by the Bible. But Protestant, I mean, I'm sorry, apostate Protestantism would, would be those who say, hey, we go by the Bible, but not really. So apostate Protestantism, through its miracles, and beloved, as you turn the television on today and you see people hitting people and they're falling down and it looks like electric shocks are going through their bodies and you know people are throwing away canes and all these various things. These are the things we're talking about because you know what? Most of those people who are doing these things are also telling people, hey, you don't need to keep the law of God. And people are going, well, man, how can he be doing all these miracles and yet be wrong? I'm going to go with what I see with my eyes. Since he's doing miracles, then he must be of God. This is what it means. Thousands and thousands of, of people are being deceived by the miracles of apostate Protestantism. Fire also represented God's acceptance. Now when Solomon, 2 Chronicles 7.1, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from where? heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So fire coming down from heaven is going to be proof so called. These miracles are going to be proof that these people are accepted of God. What else? Revelation 16, 13, 14 tells us who these miracles really come from. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And we'll discover who this false prophet is at another time. But it says, for they are spirits of who? Devils working what? Miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. How is the whole world going to be gathered together? You ever wonder that? How are Muslims and Hindus and all these different religions, how are you telling me, Pastor Mars, that they're going to be gathered together? The Bible tells us it's going to be by the devil working what? Miracles. Fire from the sky, as it were. And there may be literal fire from falling from the sky. I don't know, but it's going to be through the miracles, deceptive miracles, that's going to cause the world to come together and say, hey, you know what? We need to gather together and unite under the cause of holiness. Fire also represented God's punishment. Genesis 19, 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and what? Fire from the Lord out of heaven. Exodus 9, 23. Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and the fire ran along upon the ground and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Now, beloved, this part is very important. Talking about the fire of God. Let me share with you why it's important to understand that Protestant America is now, even now, using the fire of God to prepare people to do something that's going to be mind-blowing. School shootings. What have you heard people saying about what's been happening in our schools? This is God's judgment upon our nation. God is raining fire from the sky. Look at all these school shootings. Look at all these hurricanes and natural disasters. Look at everything that's happened. Look at all the terrorism, the hiking prices. Look at crime that's going on. All these things are happening, beloved, and we need to turn our nation back to God. Now, doesn't that sound holy? Does that sound holy? Of course it sounds holy. 
And I think our nation should be turned back to God. There's a lot going on, but beloved, we're being told that this is the fire of God that is being rained down upon, our, upon especially America, because we have taken prayer out of schools and we have done this and done that. And I believe a lot of those things are very significant. We as a nation do really need to turn back to God. But the question in the last day will be, how do we turn back to God? It is through this process that all religions will be unified. How many of you have heard of ecumenism? Ecumenism is a, simply the process by which all churches are saying, let's put aside our what? Differences and come together. It doesn't matter what you believe here or what you believe there. You know, let's just all set aside our differences, which is really saying let's set aside the what? The Bible. Let's set aside truth and just worship together. Was that what the devil wanted in heaven? Let's set aside the law of God. Why don't we, you know, we can all be together, but let's not be together under your rule. There doesn't have to be just one way to truth. So you've got this pluralistic thinking of what truth is. You, you know, what's true for you may not be true for me, but let's all come together and worship God anyway. So you may believe in bowing down to images, but I may not, but we can worship God together anyway. And beloved, I'm not saying that we shouldn't worship together, but when it comes at the price of setting aside the word of truth, you know, we can sing side by side and hold hands and shed tears and all that good stuff, but beloved, we must stand for what? Truth, no matter what. Amen? Didn't hear a good amen on that one. Okay, amen. So ecumenism, interfaith relations, Catholics and Muslims, Muslims and Christians. And you've got all these different religions. In fact, you know, I mean, you think about some of these world councils of religions that are going on now where all these different religions are coming together and trying to find ways in which they can unite on common themes. And we're seeing, beloved, that this coming together of all religions is actually taking place before our eyes. It says that he deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an what? Image to the beast which had the wound by sword and did live. Now you're going to tell me what the image of the beast is. It is not a statue. Right? You're not going to make a statue of the papacy. What is a papacy made up of? Two things. The papacy, that place over there in Rome, is a church and a what? And a state. So when Protestant America says, after all these miracles and what they're doing and saying, hey, look, the fire of God, you know, we need to turn our nation back to God. Well, what's the solution, Protestant America? Well, why don't we make an image to the Beast. Now, they're not going to say that. They're not even going to think that. They're thinking, listen, this is a good thing. Why don't we stop all this talk about separation of church and state because it never existed? And why don't we just, excuse me, come together and elect um, holy officials who will pass laws that will be in favor of Christianity? Have you heard that kind of talk? It's out there, beloved. It's happening at a really fast pace right now, even as we speak. It is a counterfeit nation of kings and what? Priests. Of elected officials 
and churches. This is what the image to the beast is. The beast looks what, everyone? Holy. So the image of the beast will also look what? Holy. A holy cause. Revelation 13, 15 tells us, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak. Now, the best thing I could think of to show you the reality of this verse is our last election that was won on what issue? Almost sin. Moral values. In other words, beloved, when you look at that 2004 election and you see that all these Christians came out and they were saying, you know, we're tired of this and that and that and this and we want morality as the leading cause for who we're going to elect and vote. What do you think is going to happen next, uh, next um, election around? Everybody's going to be holy. Every, because what? Because the vote is now in the hands of the so-called Christian majority. So all of a sudden now, beloved, I, I guarantee it, everybody's going to be talking well, you know, and what you're seeing happening is that an image to the beast is being what? It's being formed. The issues of church and state, which are, which are uh, you know, being argued over in Congress and all these different places are coming to life, beloved, and the Bible tells us it will happen. And we're seeing it happen right before our very eyes. It says, and cause that as many as would not do what? Worship or obey the image of the beast should be killed. Now question, who would not want to obey something as holy as the United States having all political Christian leaders and you know, following all the laws of so-called Christianity, who, who would be the only ones that wouldn't want to obey that? The heathen, right? Why would they go to seek to kill all who would not worship the image of the beast? Well, evidently because these are the wicked people who don't see things the way that they see it. So if they're not willing to, to, you know, make this a Christian nation based on the way they want to make it a Christian nation, then it's going to come to the point where the Bible says there will be a time of trouble such as never was. It will be a war over your concept of what? Holiness. Because all who would not do what? Worship. John 16, 2 they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time is coming that whosoever kills you will think that he is doing God a service. Beloved, the final war will be between professed Christians and actual Christians. Between deceived Christians and Christians who know what's going on. Now, here's a question. What will the image say? What will the image say? I'll tell you what the image will say. Fear God and give glory to him for his judgments are upon the earth. We just saw that, right? The image is going to say, listen, the judgments of God are falling upon this earth, all this terrorism, all this crime. We took prayer out of the school. We did all these things. And now we're here to tell you that you better what? 
Fear God and give glory to Him. Otherwise, things are only going to get worse. That's a nice thing to say. Is it true? Is it true? It's very true. If we don't fear God and give glory to Him, things are going to get worse. Beloved, the final crisis will be one that is going to be so deceptive that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. They're going to tell, listen, in order to fear God and give glory to him, you need to keep his commandments. How many of you heard of the Ten Commandments movement? None of you heard of the Ten Commandments movement? Uh, judge Roy Moore. Ever heard of Judge Roy Moore? Judge Roy Moore is that Alabama judge who put up the Ten Commandments in his courthouse, refused to move them, and it became a nationwide issue. Everybody is now talking about the Ten Commandments. Should they be posted in our legislative halls or not? Now, uh, let me give you a couple other names here. Janet Parshall. Ever heard of Janet Parshall? All right. Big talk show person, personality. She's talking about it. Uh, James Dobson. Anybody ever heard of James Dobson? Talking about the need to return to the Ten Commandments. Uh, Pat Robertson. All right. Pat Robertson wrote a book called The Ten Offenses. And beloved, what's happening is that Christian leaders are pushing for this Uh, for the Ten Commandments to be posted in legislative halls all across this country and in our schools. Now, question, do they just want it up there just because it looks nice? Man, isn't it beautiful? We should have this on every wall because it looks pretty. What's going to be the next step? If it's up there, then we ought to be what? Keeping it. And why? What's the matter with... Making people keep God's law. Question, what is the matter with making people keep God's law? Satan uses what? Force. God uses love. There is the difference. So we've got this Ten Commandments movement going on the way, and it's all about returning to the covenant. Now, I want you to see, this is where we're going to see the dividing line, beloved, because what Protestant America is going to do is they're going to enforce a counterfeit covenant. See, that's where we we now have to diverge, because everything was good. Yes, we should keep the law of God, but now we've got to diverge because we can't do what? Force people to keep the law of God. Amen? Even though we believe in the law of God, it's not to me to hold a, you know, a, a, a nail and a hammer over your hand and you know, put it down and say, if you don't do this, I'm going to nail you to the ground. That's not my place. It's the Holy Spirit's place. And now we're seeing that the Bible tells us that they're going to speak, cause the image of the beast to speak, and as many as would not worship are going to be killed. What are they going to do? What are they going to say? They're going to say, we need to turn back to God. Which means, keep his what? Commandments. Psalms 94, 20 and 21. You're familiar with this verse now. Shall the throne of what? Iniquity. Now, I want you to watch this throne. This was Satan's throne he spoke about in heaven. I want to exalt my throne about the stars of God. Now, he passes that throne to who? The beast. Remember that? He gave his throne, his seat, and his power to the beast. So now it's the throne of iniquity that he passes to the beast and it says, shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, God, which frameth 
what? Mischief by a what? By a law. Beloved, the devil, through apostate Protestantism, is going to frame mischief by a law. In other words, it's going to appear as something good. It's going to be a law that they will enforce. And what do you think is going to happen for those who don't follow this law? They should be what? Killed. Psalms 94.21 says, They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. In other words, those who refuse to follow this law, which is framed by mischief, we're going to find out, will be condemned to death. You are unworthy. You're not following Jesus. You're not doing right. And so you need to die. And this is what we call, beloved, a quote-unquote holy war. Notice Isaiah 24.5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have done what? Transgressed the laws and done what else? Changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Daniel 7.25. He shall think to change times and laws. What's the time and the law that he changed? We'll come back to that. Revelation 13, 16, and 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a what? Mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So, beloved, now Satan goes and he says, listen, all who will not receive this mark that is issued by the beast will not be able to do what? Buy or sell. The mark will be seen as a sign of allegiance to God. It will be a law enforced or framed by mischief from the throne of where? Iniquity. The mark is a counterfeit. Notice Ezekiel 9 verse 4. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, this is a vision that Ezekiel was having, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a what? A mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Before the house. In other words, beloved, in Ezekiel 9, we just read that God commanded this angel to set a mark upon all those who were sighing and crying for all the abominations done in the land. This has its actual fulfillment in Revelation chapter 7, where it says, And after these things I saw four angels stand on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. The what, everyone? The seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Where? In their foreheads. So the mark is actually a counterfeit of the seal. Now the seal was a seal of protection from destruction. You notice in Exodus 28, 
The words seal and sign are interchangeable. And in Exodus 8, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, to the end that thou may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between me and thy, my people and thy people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. God said that the sign would be the, the dividing factor between his people and those who received the plagues that were being poured out in Egypt. Those who escape the plagues in the last days are those who have the seal of God. How many of you would like to have the seal of God? It's the seal of God that protects us from the destruction coming upon the earth. So guess what the devil's going to do? He's going to tell us that it's important for us to have this seal or this mark because this is the mark that will keep us from being what? Destroyed. Now, notice the mark was to be placed in the right hand or the forehead. This rings similar bells because in Deuteronomy 6, 6, 6 and 8, the Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. What was he talking about? The Ten Commandments. They were to be binded upon the hand or between the eyes, the, the forehead. Where is Satan going to put his mark? Either on the hand or the forehead. So we know, beloved, that the devil is going to try to enforce the law of God, but we're going to see it'll be a counterfeit law. Notice Proverbs 7, 1 through, th one through 3. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Of thine heart is Isaiah 8 and 16 tells us, seal the law among my disciples. How many of you want to be sealed? God says if you want to be sealed, you must have my law, what? Written on your heart and in your mind. The devil comes with this counterfeit and says, look, I want to write the law on your heart and on your mind, but beloved, it's going to be a counterfeit law. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of how much? All. The devil knows that. Remember, he will think to change times and laws. And I should have asked you this before I hit the slide. But beloved, what is the commandment that the, that, that the beast, the first beast changed? It was the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. And notice what the Catholic record says, September 1, 1923. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Did you hear what, he, what it just said? The church is what? Above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. In other words, the Catholic Church says, listen, this is our mark. This is the mark of our authority, power, and throne. The change of the what? Sabbath. Protestant America who said, hey, we protest against Catholic, you know, Catholic teachings because we believe in the Bible and the Bible only. But oh, by the way, we want to build an image to what the papacy did during the Dark Ages. We want to have a church state. We want to enforce the law of God. But beloved, when it comes to the fourth commandment, what are they going to enforce? 
Sunday. It will not be the Sabbath of the Bible. It will be the mark or the authority of what? Of who? The beast. The Sabbath, beloved, is God's true sign. Ezekiel 20, 12, moreover also I gave them my what? Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I'm the Lord that does sanctify them. And again, verse 20, and hallow my Sabbaths and they shall be a what? Sign between me and you that you may know that I'm the Lord your God. Ezekiel 20, 20. So if the devil wants to counterfeit the sign, he's going to be counterfeiting the Sabbath. It's going to be something that appears to be good. Christians are going to want this mark. This is the sign that I have allegiance with God. We worship the Lord on the Lord's day. This is the sign. Now, beloved, I'm not saying that Sunday keeping right now is the mark of the beast. What I am saying is that the time is coming when America will enforce the keeping of the Ten Commandments, including the which one? The fourth commandment, a counterfeit, and at that point in time, that is when the time of trouble ensues, and, and this controversy of holiness, why don't you want to keep Sunday? I don't understand, it's just a day, why can't you just bow down and keep Sunday? Come on, you really think God is going to punish you for disobedience to one of his commandments? And you're going to feel very crazy thinking, why am I doing this? One third of the angels were what? Deceived. It's just a, just a day. Just a day. Why are you making such a big deal over it? It's just one of God's commandments. What did God say about his commandments? If you offend in what? One point, you are guilty of all. The president's seal contains his name, his title, his territory. George Bush, president of the what? United States of America. The seal of God contains the same thing. His name, his title, his territory. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days, the who? The Lord made the heavens and the earth. That is, he created. He is the creator. And what did he make? The heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. The Sabbath is the seal of God. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. If the Sabbath is his seal, then the mark must be a counterfeit of the what? Of the seal. A seal or mark is a sign of ownership. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. 2 Timothy 2.19. Now, this is really powerful. You've got to listen to this, beloved. Because he's still wondering, how in the world are we going to get to, the, to that place where Christians are actually killing other Christians? Here's how it's going to happen. How many of you know what a theocracy is? A theocracy, the Old Testament, in the, the Hebrews had a theocracy. God was ruling directly over them. He was in their presence. And when you sinned in the presence of God, guess what happened? You were stoned. You were stoned. Notice in Exodus 31, 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be what? Put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, 
holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall be put to death. Now, when we talk about work, we could sum work up into two words. Buying and what? Selling. Beloved, it's, it's amazing that out of the Ten Commandments, this is the only commandment that has to do with a day that we cannot and should not what? Buy and sell. What does the mark of the beast say? Whoever doesn't receive this mark will not be able to what? Buy or sell. That's amazing, beloved. It's amazing. But anyway, they were to be, be put to death. Whosoever of the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe, or wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. What is the ultimate deception? Luke 21, 8. Jesus says, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Beloved, who will be the ultimate personification of Christ? The ultimate deceiver appearing as Jesus Christ himself. Satan. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No marvel for Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. Beloved, can you imagine what it's going to be like when this being, beautiful, bright being, comes to this earth and people think, oh, this must be the second coming. Jesus has come and he is now about to set up his kingdom where? On earth. But we know that when Jesus comes, he stops in the air and calls his saints where? Up to meet him and he takes them to heaven. He's not setting up a kingdom here on earth yet. But because they have not been studying their Bibles, they come to the conclusion that Christ is going to descend. So now you've got Satan walking around on earth and now you have a theocracy. And here you go, you know, no way. I was at Pastor Mar's seminar and I heard about this and you're the Antichrist. And you say that in front of a bunch of Christians and they go, what did you just say? And the devil himself goes, what did he just say? He called you Satan. Well, guys, you know what the Old Testament says, right? Theocracy, what do you do? You stole them. You killed them. This is the great deception, beloved, because a time is coming where they that kill you will think that they're doing who? God a service, but which God is it that they're actually doing service? Satan. This is that delusion that is going to take the world, including the Sabbath. If you work on the Sabbath, if you refuse to keep the first day of the week versus the seventh day of the week, then you're in trouble. I'm not going to read all this, but in Nehemiah, we're told here, Nehemiah speaking, he says, look, I warn the Israelites, do not work on the Sabbath because by so doing, they brought destruction upon themselves. This will be the very same argument in the last days. You're bringing destruction upon this world because you continue to profane the Lord's Day. What day are they talking about? Sunday. You've got all these sporting events and all these things going on. We've got to return. How many of you know what a blue law is? Ever, ever heard of a blue law? 
Blue laws are already on the books. These are laws stating that it is illegal for you to do any work to buy or sell on Sunday. They're on every. They're on the books in almost every state, I believe, except for a few. They are just not enforced. So this is not far-fetched, beloved. The time is coming where it will happen. How many of you ever heard of Dies Domini? A letter written by the Pope some years back saying, let me just read one quote to you, therefore also in the particular, in the particular circumstance of our own time, Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation respects their duty to keep what? Sunday. This letter, Dies Domini, that he wrote was a letter encouraging all Christians to put reverence back into Sunday keeping. The Bible says nothing, beloved, about Sunday keeping. So the question is, whose throne, whose authority, whose dominion, whose mark do we want? This was actually in a newspaper article. I don't remember what article it was. Here's what it reads. That's President Bush. Here's one my conservative base is really going to like. A constitutional amendment requiring folks to attend church on Sundays. Beloved, as I look at that, and as I see what the Bible has said from thousands of years ago, I go, Lord, we are living in that time right now. It may seem like a funny picture, but beloved, we have just seen, we have been teaching this for years and years and years. And beloved, these very things are coming to pass before our eyes. Those who receive the mark cast their vote that God's kingdom is subject to change. In other words, those who receive the mark say, yes, we believe that God's kingdom can change. We know that Sunday is not in the Bible, but we should be able, the disciples were able to change the law of God, and they believe that the, that the government of God is subject to change based upon suggestions. So they'll get to heaven and say, you know, God, I think we ought to change this a little bit. I mean, you gave your disciples power to change laws. You gave the church power to change laws. So when they get to heaven, what are they going to want to do? Change laws that don't suit them, that are inconvenient. And God says, no, 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 no. I cannot allow any juror in my heavenly courtroom that thinks that my laws are what? Changeable. Not only that, some people are deceived. Others are not deceived. They know the truth, but they cast their vote that self-preservation is more important than the law of self-sacrificing love. Lord, I know the truth, but I've got to feed my little girl. I knew this day was coming, but I've got to make a living. What are they showing? They're showing that the law of self-centeredness is more important to me than the law of self-sacrificing love. Beloved, this is what the issues will reveal in that great time of trouble. It will be a replay of the controversy in heaven. The final and full manifestation of the deception of evil is given to the jury. The jury, it must be seen whether the jury will be able, if they were in a situation just like that in heaven, would they come out on top? Would they make the right decision? Are they able to handle this kind of a what? Trial. Is humanity fully capable of judging what will be revealed in the heavenly courtroom about the incredible deception of Lucifer? Beloved, when the jury 
those people of God make it through that final time of trouble, it will prove that were they in heaven and that crisis arose, they would not be part of the one-third of the angels that were deceived by Satan. And therefore, they will be able to judge correctly. Our last two slides, Revelation 15, 2. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the what, everyone? The victory. That didn't sound like a good victory. Them that had gotten the what? The victory over the beast and over his what? Image and over his what? Mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the hearts of God. And Revelation 24 tells us, And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. They were proven to be worthy through Christ's blood to be jurors, to live and to reign with Christ a thousand years. This is our closing slide. I mean, I've got two more. Please, let me, let me finish these. Revelation 14, 9 and 10. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into his cup. That is one class in the last days. And the second class, beloved, is found right after that verse, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of God of Jesus. Beloved, our only safety is in strict, unswerving loyalty to the law of God. No matter what we're told, no matter what the cause of good, listen, these calamities are going on because you little small group of people who think the Sabbath is on Saturday refuse to keep Sunday. And if you don't come over and keep the Lord's Day, calamities and more calamities are going to come. And between that and having to kill you, we just need to kill you so that for the good of the world, it can continue to go on. Beloved, do not swerve from the law of God. We have the word of God that tells us what's going to happen and we're seeing it unfold before our very eyes. How many of you would like to be prepared for that time of trouble? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray before you tonight. Lord, that you would strengthen us to keep your commandments no matter what. Father, even now we may be challenged, thinking how can this war be possibly be over a day? Isn't it holy one way or the other? Doesn't it, does it really matter what day we keep as long as we keep whichever one we choose? Oh, Father, one-third of the angels were deceived because they thought that they could determine righteousness for themselves. Help us, Father, in this great time of trouble that is coming upon this world, not to be found deceived as they were deceived. But Lord, help us to follow your word into your sanctuary, into the most holy place where you have written your law with your own finger and it has not changed. Help us, Lord, to follow you with us wherever you go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.